I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. And this is a great, great thing to teach on. I don't think I've ever in all the years heard this particular subject addressed in detail. I was, I was studying this. I, I was thinking, have I ever heard even a message preached? I've heard it mentioned, but never in detail. And that is we're, we're in a series of how God reveals himself. And this particular uh, one this morning is God reveals himself as jealous. And uh, anybody understand what jealousy is? Anybody ever been the subject of jealousy? Raise your hands. Come on. Yeah. Anybody ever seen anybody maimed, destroyed, killed, beat up because of jealousy? Yeah. Now, you don't want to raise your hand on that one. It may have been you that was beat up, so we don't want that to happen. But, yes, we, uh, it, it is, it's a subject. And, and when you begin to think about jealousy, how, how is it that a loving, caring, merciful God can be described as jealous? How is that? How can God be looked upon and called jealous? Just, just for the sake of, of uh, discussion, anybody want to raise your hand and give me an answer for that? Go ahead. That's part of it. That, that is. That, that is a part of it. Because you have to look at it in the context of where it was written. And if we understand that context, it makes it a little easier to understand. It's going to be in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 7, and then Exodus 34, 14. Exodus 21 through 7, and Exodus 34, 14. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a, and here we go, jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And in Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. You may be seated. How many of you in here, you all a bunch of geniuses? All of us are. Right? So how many's ever read Othello, Shakespeare's Othello? Shakespeare's Othello? It's, you, you don't have a book of Shakespeare's, all of his plays and stuff at your bed at night, and you read just a little bit before you go. Okay. Well, <clears throat> this is a classic work written in 1604. And, and what is said here is, oh, beware... And this is where this saying comes from. Oh, beware, my Lord of jealousy. It is a green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Now, you think about that, and you've heard it, green-eyed monster. Everybody's heard that sometime growing up. Well, there's a, there's a, a little story here that uh, I think is probably pretty common, 
And uh, this was a guy by the name of Lennox, or Lennox, I'm sorry, Lennox Lowry. And he was 53 years old, lived in Florida. And he's got the scars to prove how jealousy really doesn't work out very well. In October 2011, this man was driven by extreme jealousy to confront his ex-girlfriend's boyfriend. So, you know, he, he addresses him and then... Uh, they have some words, and finally Mr. Lowry pulls a gun, he shoots his victim in the chest. So when he was later confronted by the police, he refused to throw down his shotgun. And I, now, this is just little Robertson here. I'll just put it, I, I think maybe the Florida police need to have some shooting lessons. Because they shot this guy in the left knee, they shot him in the right ear, now, now think about this, and in the shoulder. I mean, it's, guys blessed that they probably can't shoot very well. Now, you can't tell me. Now, you might purposely shoot a guy in the leg, but shooting at his ear, now, come on. That's just a little bit. <laughs> so, so he's got all the scars to prove. And what was sad about this, this guy that he shot was, had been his friend for five years, close friend. So this is what jealousy can do to a person. It can make you do some really stupid, stupid things. And just the mention, you know, mention of the word, that stirs kind of a, an unsavory, if I can put it that way, emotion. I think in all of us it does that. It, it, speaks, uh, it, it speaks of bitterness and envy. It speaks of harshness. And it is strained to the breaking point, multiple with relationships, many, many. It has separated husbands from wives. It's separated them from siblings. Siblings have separated and choice friends. It's havoc appears in divorce courts. We see that all the time with the 50% divorce rate that we have, and it may be even be greater than that now. I, I'm not sure. But you can see it in divorce courts, in broken relationships, and in lonely lives. Jealousy will make a person very, very lonely. So it, it's something that we have, that green-eyed monster, if we want to call it, which it mocks the meat that it feeds on. Now, this monster has have it savaged so many and so widely, it is difficult to associate it with anything righteous. No matter what we say, isn't it still difficult to put everything that I just said into a, into a category where we can address God that way? God is jealous. All the things that I've just said, the havoc that jealousy can, can do and how it strains relationships and causes people to be lonely. How can we still put it in a righteous, into a righteous God? Let's just let's look at it a little, a little closer. Because really, God is the antithesis of, of, of everything that I just mentioned, all these things. He's, he's the complete uh, antithesis of all this. The psalmist declared of him, he said, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel in Psalms 22. And, and so perfect is his purity that his prophet said, Thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity in Habakkuk 1.13. Consequently, it's almost shocking that the Word of God describes God as jealous. It really, and honestly, I can say this with all sincerity, I've read that scripture over and over and over again, and I understand the easy answers. I understand those, but still to look at it and to put that, that term on God, and I know God put it on Himself, it still is hard for me to grasp. And, and really, I needed to study this myself to just get a little understanding on it. 
So how do, we, how do we then properly reconcile? How do we reconcile these ideas about jealousy? What does God mean when he says he is jealous? Does this mean something different from our human application of the term? And, and what is the righteous framework for his jealousy? And what is our righteous response to it? And that's really today what I want to study. How, how do we respond to this? And we know that God is distinct. There's none like him. Uh, you know, the, the frailties, and I, I really have always, and we as Pentecostals can say this, and we've heard it said and preached many times, that we cannot really describe our feelings towards God after we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in any way other than in tongues. Because our, our worship, our love for God, when we are in prayer and we get deep in prayer, the only way to express our feelings is through tongues. You cannot, if you're where you need to be with God, you will, in your prayer, you will, you will, if you get to really trying to express and love Him the way that He wants to be loved, you will have to go to tongues. That's just that simple. You will have to do that to express yourself the way that God wants us to express ourselves to Him. So, so human speech then, and I said all I'd say this, human speech is, is you know, it's, it's difficult within human speech to, to describe Him. Uh, you know, his, if we look at his vastness, his transcendence, and, and it causes us to, to fumble in our efforts to depict him in words. And, and, and no book comes closer to depicting him than the Psalms. Because the Psalms, you know, it talks about in Psalm 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. That Psalm actually describes how we should feel about God, regardless of how much I pray and how much praise I give him and how much I even speak in tongues. So it's, it, it's better for me and better for any of us if we get to that point. We feel a little bit more that we've, we've touched something special. Maybe we've, we've described how we feel a little better, but even with that... It still seems that we, we cannot quite describe, or at least I can't. I can't describe how I feel about him. And, and, and are any of you the same way? Do you feel exactly? I, I sometimes can be sitting and just meditating, and all of a sudden I begin to realize what God has done for me in my life and how God has helped me through so many things and how God has directed me and how God has been there for me. And, and you know, you, you, you come to tears. You come to tears because you say, God, if I could just somehow express to you how I feel right here, if somehow I could let you know just how great you really are to me. You know, that's, that's, that's how we feel. Our, our words are just not big enough for this. We, we just don't have the language for it. We're limited. And we depend then on, on comparison to, to attempt to comprehend and describe Him. We use what is called similes, and, uh, such as He is like fresh water in the desert. That's a simile or metaphor such as God is my strong tower. Now, these are useful aids, and they can assist us in grasping and expressing His majesty and nature, but still are, are, are completely insufficient. In reality, nothing and no one can compare to Him. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside Thee, neither is there any rock like our God. And First Samuel 2, 2. So God is completely distinct from all people, all things, all false deities, all concepts and ideas, and all feelings. He is self-existent. And he is a self-existent one who resides outside the boundaries of time and, and creation. He alone is God, and he is God alone. Now, this concept is vital to the topic of God's jealousy, for we cannot apply the same standards 
to God as we can apply to ourselves. It's impossible. Uh, we can't have any preconceptions to, uh, to, to apply to God as we would apply them to ourselves. We can't, there's no human emotions. Reactions are entirely foreign to him. He exists in a completely different realm than we do. And we need to understand that. He existed. Yes, I know God resides in my heart. And I know I can talk to him in a language, and I know he understands that. But to try to put human emotion on him in that sense, we can't do that. He exists differently than what we are. Look at Isaiah 55 and 9. He stated of himself, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because if God was not higher in those, in those areas, if he didn't think, if he thought like I think, then I would be lost. You know, since I've got the Holy Ghost, I would have been lost because I failed. You have failed. All of us have failed. And if we put human emotions and concepts on him, then a lot of us would, even though we say we forgive, we still hold people liable. God doesn't do that. He immediately, when a person repents from his heart, it's gone. He doesn't remember it any longer. It's covered by the blood. So we cannot, if he had the same kind of human feelings and attitudes that we have, we would all be in a mess. Every one of us. Thank God he doesn't. So this is how we have to look at this when it comes to, to God being jealous. And that God is distinct unto himself, allows him to righteously possess attributes that would be unacceptable for us. Several such characteristics. Now, I'm not, uh, I, I have a... Uh, rather than get into a completely different line of teaching here, I'm going to, I'm going to use this in a way that I, you'll understand. Uh, the Bible tells us not to judge one, and I believe there is righteous judgment, but that's a completely different line of thinking. But let, let's just look at it in the terms that God tells us not to judge one another according to Matthew 7, 1, 1 and 2. Now, while believers are not to judge others, however, God is the judge of all the earth in Genesis 18:25, He has the right to judge. That is what righteous judgment is. That is why that a person, the only way that a person can judge is to judge through God's eyes, and that's through the Word of God. We can't say I can make that judgment of a person outside of this because the Bible's already established. So if the Bible says something about the subject, then I have the right to judge according to this. Now, that's what I'm saying. That's what righteous judgment is. And the Scripture repeatedly instructs us to turn the other cheek. It's another one, isn't it? When others commit wrongs against us, we're not to retaliate. Or to seek to recompense evil for evil. However, notice that the, the contrast between our role and that of the Lord. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord, in Romans 12:19. Ephesians 4:31 lists things that, that believers should put out of their lives, two of which are wrath and anger. Yet scores of verses describe God appropriately possessing these two characteristics. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and trouble by sending evil angels among them. In Psalm 78, verse 49. And clearly God is distinct, and he can righteously possess attributes and characteristics that would be unacceptable for us as believers. Jealousy is one of these attributes that is appropriate only for God. Only he can be jealous without any iniquity or unrighteousness in his nature or in his actions. Where he is, were he like us, this would be impossible. But his distinction as a supreme sovereign affords him that ability to be jealous. It gives him that. Now, anybody want to? Let's get a little more discussion. I like discussion. 
I want someone to define for me the difference between jealousy and envy. And there is a difference. Because a lot of times people, when you say jealousy, they immediately put envy in there. Raise your hand good and high. Jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. Some of you that's graduated from IU. Anybody's graduated from IU? You have. What's jealousy and envy? That's right. And envy? That's envy? Actually, it's reversal. Okay. And anybody else? Right. And that and that's true. They are close. They are very close. Anybody else? Jealousy and envy? Go ahead. You read it. You you cheated. Okay. <laughs> That's the trouble with those iPhones, man. Okay. Okay. Well, they are fundamentally different. Okay, and now, now what this particular lesson says is that an envious person desires something that belongs to another. And the Bible calls this covetousness, and it strictly forbids it in Exodus 20. Conversely, jealousy is the fear that something a person possesses will be taken away by another. And this can certainly apply to, to many aspects of a person's life. Uh, a man by the name of Gary Collins, Dr. Gary Collins, states this in his book, Homemade, and he says the word jealousy more often refers to anxiety which comes when we're afraid that the affections of a loved one might be lost to a rival. We fear that our mates or perhaps our children will be lured away by some other person who, when compared to us, seems to be more attractive, capable, and successful. So jealousy actually is a more personal level. Uh, it is the, uh, you know, the fact that you're jealous. You don't want someone else to come in and take your wife or your kids away from you. And you look at that, and sometimes just... If a person has this particular emotion right at the edge, every time someone looks at his wife, you know, he can smile at his wife just to be nice. And this person is upset. It's a terrible, that's why it is, you know, it's a, it's a monster. It can be not only against a person who smiles, but it could also affect the wife. It could affect your children. You know, you've got your, your little kids and they like, like you know, my kids like Eldar better because Eldar gives them candy. You know, and I take them home and have to pay their dental bills, so I say no more candy, you know, and he, you know, of course they're going to like him better. You know, that's just the, well, not really like him better. They might like him better, but they love me. That's the difference. So, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's exactly the difference. And here is where God's distinction comes into this discussion. Because now think about this. We saw that, that the jealousy when it comes to our understanding of it, we believe that you know someone rivals us in trying to get the affection of our loved ones. But God has no rivals. You see what I'm saying? 
So God couldn't be looking at it in those terms because God has no rivals. None can compare to him. him. You know, he, he's not the best God. He is the only God. Okay, you get this in your mind. He's the only God. A person in a moment of, of foolishness may turn his back on God for something less valuable, but this is the result of sin's dominion in mankind and not due to any lack on God's part. In other words, if a person, uh, a person is saying, you know, I, 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 I can't serve Jesus because of this or because of that. He did something wrong, so I'm going to go out and, and serve the devil. Well, that's not because God has a rival in the devil. That's because of sin's dominion in that person. And that's how we look at it. We're reaching, we're in the time of year right now where we have to deal with a whole lot of, of witchcraft and a lot of demonic oppression that comes against people that are trying to serve. It comes against the church. It comes this way. You have all kinds of little things flare up that you don't know where in the world they came from. You understand? It, it has. We've had it. I've had it. I have it every year. And I don't like to say that I expect it. But I do. You know, expect it. And, you know, it's not that I think that God can't take care of it because he's always taken care of it. And sometimes I believe God allows this. I know uh, evil is more, uh, you know, it's a stronger this time of year. But it doesn't make any difference how strong evil gets. God is always going to be stronger because he has no rival. There's no other gods beside him. And so you never look at this, oh, how strong the devil is. Just, he's no stronger than ever, really. It's just that people are allowing him to do more in their lives. Because sin has that tendency to reside in all people, and we have to keep it placed and pushed down all the time. So, so he's the best God. You know, he is the only God. And we go on to, to look at the, that uh, he's not jealous for fear that a more attractive, more capable, or more successful God might present it, uh, itself to us. He knows there's no other God, so he, he's not, he knows that. So our own, our own insecurities drive much of the emotion that we commonly describe as jealousy. Feelings of low self-esteem haunt a man or a woman until he or she becomes convinced someone else might present a more attractive option for the loved one. God labors under no such burden. There's no such burden. In our jealousy, we labor under that self-esteem business. Uh, as Brother Hill made that very clear, that was very good. And I've, I've heard this before. The self-esteem is just a lack of faith in God. There's, you know, really, that's all we're saying. We are actually worshiping ourselves over God. So you can't come up and say, because I'm so shy because I lack self-esteem. God has made you something special. You can't do that any longer. You have to start overcoming that now because that's just another, that's another God. It's really what that becomes. And, and no matter how much that the psychiatrist might tell you that, he's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. You can't tell me my psychiatrist is wrong. Yes, because you worship the poor fellow. You stop and think about it. I, I know it's good. There's some counseling is good. I understand that. I'm not ignorant. But some people get into areas, some people get addicted to that. And all they're doing is just going to somebody to have them pat them on the back and say you're going to be better. And you get addicted not you get addicted to that. And all you have to do is find a buddy or somebody and just do that and pay him half the amount. That's right. You give me what you're paying that guy, I'll pat you on the back. You're doing good. See you next week. Hallelujah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know there's some good to it. Now, <clears throat> while not an egomaniacal tyrant, God is 
perfectly secure in his identity. There's no problem with him. He is the only source of life. He's the only fount of spiritual blessings. He is the only Savior of mankind. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. He does not relate to us with a perpetual mistrust issuing from a well of insecurity. On his part, instead, with the calm assurance sovereign distinctiveness brings, he is jealous over us with a godly jealousy. I want you to bring up the, the godly jealousy thing I've got there. I want you to see this. Now this, is, this describes that God's jealousy for us is born out of a desire for our best interest and produces guidelines and pro, as protections. Probably, that's okay, it's probably the way I spelled, or probably my writing. I never spell anything wrong, but my writing's bad. Protections for our spiritual well-being. Now, I'll leave that up there. I want you to look at that. God's jealousy, then, is not sinful or unclean in any fashion. His moral nature would not allow that to be so. His jealousy for his people does not stem from selfish desires, nor does it produce vindictive actions. It does, however, have both underlying righteous motives and logical righteous effects. A person tends to resent it when, when, you, resent it when carnal jealousy becomes apparent in an otherwise healthy relationship. Now you think about that. If you've got a, a good healthy relationship and one of the, one of the two of the people in the relationship is, is dealing with jealousy, then before long they start pushing the other one away because they begin to resent. They have to watch everything they do, whoever they talk to, and they begin to resent that. But in God's case, that's not, that's not why. Reading this above, again, what I, just, uh, what I just told you about this, it does not. Because this will destroy intimacy of, uh, uh, with people. But people of God should rejoice that he has revealed his godly jealousy over us. Instead of destroying the intimacy of our relationship with God, this attribute affords the safety and security of an ongoing closeness between us. It is a valuable aspect in the bond that we share with Jesus Christ. Now, the immature Christian might misunderstand the jealousy of God or take exception even to the use of the word. But as we grow in Christ, we discover that God's jealousy is, and again, for us, is born out of desire for our best interest. That's what his jealousy is for. His jealousy is for our best interest. And it's vital for us to understand that. That term is not a bad term, not when it comes to God. It's for us. It's what he does for us. He loves us that much. Again, look at this. God's jealousy for us is born out of a desire for our best interest, not God's best interest. He doesn't think like we think. He doesn't act like we act. It's His. It, it, it's our best interest that He is jealous over. Now, jealousy is the sense of vigilance and maintaining or guarding something concisely describes the attribute of our Savior. I want you to look at that one again. Jealousy is a sense of vigilance in maintaining or guarding something. <laughs> You're jealous over it. I've actually heard that said before. Uh, I'm, je I'm guarding this. I'm jealous over it. doesn't mean necessarily a bad thing. It just means I'm guarding that particular object. I'm jealous over this. You know, someone comes up and they want to borrow one of my firearms. Number one. You have to give me the deed to your house to borrow it. Number two, if it comes back with a scratch, then I take your house. Why? Because I'm jealous over it. That means you're selfish. Yes, I am. 
I need prayer over that, and I'll teach on that another time. Okay, we'll talk about that. No, I'm not really that bad. But some, pe- some people can be that bad because they're jealous over that particular object. They want to take care of it. God is jealous over his people because he wants what's best for us. And looking at, at what he, he says or where he says that he's jealous in Exodus 20, you can understand how he describes everything within that chapter of how we need to react to his jealousy and how that he acts towards us. That's the great thing about Exodus 20. It's more than just the Ten Commandments. It goes a whole lot deeper than that. And then that, then that brings, brings to us a, a wonderful source. If you think of it and understand how God sees it, that brings a source of comfort and certainty. He, he will not look in on us casually once in a while to, to monitor our spiritual well-being. In other words, God's not gone. Oh, I'm going to come by McCormick's Creek Church once a year and see how they're doing. He's always monitoring us. He's always there. He's always looking in on you wherever you are, whether you're on your job, whether you're at home in bed at night. He is there monitoring you, checking things out, guarding you. Regardless of what you endure, what you go through, believe me, God is still there and there's a purpose in everything He does. And you'll understand that in God's jealousy, if we are, don't do our part of living for Him, then it doesn't mean that He just backs away, He's not watching us, but He lets us, because of the jealousy of God, He lets us be rebuked, if you would, or He will rebuke us. And that comes in a whole lot of different forms. Every one of us are different. Sometimes, just in the case of, uh, you know, we can say one thing with our mouth and our heart, and we've, we've talked about that before, is far from Him. So God will in some way correct us. And all of us know, and we need to be reminded of that often. I see too many people falling away from God because it seems like God doesn't care for them. God does care for them. That's the reason they're going through what they are, to get them back in line with what He knows they have to be. I would rather make it to heaven and have absolutely nothing than to miss it and have everything in the world. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We have to understand how God acts and reacts towards us. So He carefully and consistently watches over us. In Psalm 45, it says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So God's jealousy is not selfish. It does not protect him from hurt or the pain of betrayal. It instead, it, en- it endeavors to protect us from the hurt we will experience if we reject Jesus Christ and his rule in our lives. He is jealous over us not for his own good, but for ours. It's not for fear of what he might lose, but rather protect us from what we stand to lose. Without Jesus, he wants our lives to be, without Jesus, rather, he wants our lives to be all. He he designed them to be and is jealous against anything that might interrupt that flow of blessings. He's jealous of anything that might interrupt the flow. Do you realize that all of us have a line in life, and it's a a pathway, a road, whatever it may be, you know, the the path of of a good man or order, the steps, rather, of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. So God knows where our life is going to go, where we're going to make turns, and whether we're going to go straight, he's directed. That's all part of it. But the, the problem with this, and if you're not careful in this particular way of thinking, then you get thinking in predestination. The thing is that we still have a choice of whether or not we're going to travel that particular road. 
And that's what God's jealousy does. It compels us to stay on the pathway that He has ordered for us. And when you get off that pathway, then you begin to feel the, the rod of correction. It begins to be applied to you. So God's jealousy is not selfish. It is not in any way. The selfless love of, of Jesus longs for our lives to abound with blessings. That's what He wants. Consider the words of Paul to the church at Ephesus. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Ephesians 1.3. Or hear the words of Peter in his second epistle. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. In 2 Peter 1.3. Or ponder the words of the Lord himself when he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Everything God has for us is in abundance. He will meet your needs. And I, I, I can say this with, with all sincerity and love in my heart. Regardless of how hard this year has been for a lot of people, financially, spiritually, whatever it may be, you still have had your needs met. Every one of you have had your needs met. Every one of you are still on the right pathway that are here this morning. And that's, that's to be thankful for. Hardships sometimes build something in us that we could never have otherwise. There's a, a, a surety that we have that I've gone through this, I can go through anything. And sometimes God gives us the anything. I don't know how many times I've said that's the stupidest thing in the world to say. Don't ever say that. Because you do. You know, you think, you know, I got through this and I've done this. I've got through this, I can get through anything. And then God, there's something else that comes that's worse. Then I get through this and think I've won this great battle, which I have and I rejoice, but then I say the same thing all over again. I'm not going to say it anymore. God pours profound and manifold blessings into the lives of His children. And again, this is not to say that challenges and difficult days will not occur, for surely they come to every one of us. However, God wants to give us an abundance of everything. He knows, we need, uh, he knows we need for life and godliness, and He knows that. Everything that we need for life and for godliness, He gives it to us. Now, while that desire in the heart of God exists, He has decreed that certain actions can be blessed and others cannot. So we go back to there's certain things that can be blessed, certain things that cannot. He's determined that some ways are righteous and subject to His favor, and some ways are unrighteous and subject to his judgment. Some roads lead to life, and some roads lead to death. Some choices produce blessings, and some choices produce cursing. Some lifestyles produce communion with him, and some produce distance between them. You realize that? There are some things that will cause us to be cursed, some things blessed, some things that produce communion, some things that produce distance. And because he is a jealous over us, he does not leave us to our own devices to discover which is which. We're not left to our own best ideas. Instead, the jealousy of God actively seeks to ensure our continued favor, blessings, and intimacy with him. Now again, let's look, let's look at uh, while the human emotion of jealousy may not be healthy in and of itself, unrighteous human jealousy is most harmful when acted upon. You know, it's one thing. Jealousy is bad and it hurts all of us, but I can be jealousy over, or jealous over something and not act on it. That's bad enough. But when I act on it, that makes it twice as bad. Because not only are you affecting yourself, but you're affecting that person or persons 
whom you're jealous of. So you affect him. So acting on it is even worse. You know, you begin to look at some of the, uh, the, uh, the things and the deep wounds of, on relationships that this causes. And I'm, I'm sure that many of you in here have, again, have had some kind of uh, relationship or you've known somebody that's been in a relationship that's been absolutely destroyed because of jealousy. And it, it does happen. In contrast, when God's intense love and jealous care for us translates into actions, it only strengthens our relationship with Him. We become recipients of His goodwill. His jealousy for us is the wellspring from which flows His work in us. Now, God's jealousy directs. I want to, sh- I want to show you something here that I thought was, was really good. Exodus 20, I made the statement earlier that, that in the context that Exodus 20 was written, it helps us to understand what God's jealousy is all about. And I want to, it, it provides actually the framework and the setting for the description of the jealous, jealousy of God. Now, in this passage, in, in Exodus 20, we observe a pattern that's typical to the contracts between ancient kings and their people. When king uh, took over a particular nation, there was a contract. And the ancient eastern kings, there was a contract that was made with the people and with the king. And I want you to follow this. This will help you understand it. Because these agreements contain four facets. First, the king would clearly identify himself. You would know who he was. Second, he would recount those things that he had accomplished for his subjects. It sounds like you know, some of our politicians today. I mean, really, it's not much different. Third, He would promise to protect his subjects and itemize the benefits of this agreement. And finally, the contract would list the demands placed on the subjects of the king, including their exclusive loyalty. Now, this is how a king, when he came into power in the Middle Middle East, this is how uh, the, the contract that he made with the people. Now, Exodus 20 contains all four elements. Verse 2 identifies the king of this agreement and tells what he has done for his subjects. I want you to look at this. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, Exodus 20 and 2. He clearly identifies himself. He clearly identifies himself. Verse 6 lists the king's promises to them for their submission. Exodus 20 and 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. But woven among these elements are the requirements that the king demands, and they're commonly called or referred to as the Ten Commandments. So this is how the Lord was talking to Israel. He was letting them know, I'll be your king. He identified himself. I'll, I'll let you know what I'll do for you and all this, but this is what you are responsible for. Thus you have the Ten Commandments. So the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with the people's relationship with God, and the next six deal with their relationship with each other. And we should notice that God identified himself as a jealous, later on, as jealous within the framework of these commandments. In other words, he said, I'm jealous to keep you in this framework. You get out of that framework, you're no longer loyal to me. Then you're on your own. That's what he was telling them. Now, commandments from God stem 
from the righteous jealousy of God. His desire for our spiritual prosperity coupled with our inability to direct our own way produces the need for Him to interject Himself into our lives with direction and instruction. So He really is not letting this, not really on your own. I'm going to show you, before I let you go out on your own, I'm going to show you what you need to do. I'll direct you. I'll send some snakes to bite you. Okay? You know, I give you manna. I give you quail. I give you water from the rock. I'll send a few snakes to bite you. Because you got away from some things. You started worshiping other gods. You, you, you got messed up the Amalekites. You know, you all of this. So he directs them again. He sends, now, I mean, most of the time we would think, you know, we, and this is, he did send snakes to bite them. But let's look at it in, in our world. You know, sometimes we have snakes that come to bite us. And we hurt. And we have some physical problems as a result of the poison. This happens. But why does he do it? Does he do it because he doesn't love us or because he does love us? He does love us because he wants us to get back within the framework of the commandments. Now, I know this is Old Testament, but this is, this is still good. This gives us how God sees things. And if you go into in the book of Matthew, you'll see Jesus laid out a framework still using those Ten Commandments. And we still can be corrected. Now, when we see the commandments for what they are, what are the commandments? Uh, let, me just, let me ask you that question. Raise your hands. How, why? Why did God give us commandments? Anybody want to address that? Raise your hand good and high. Why did God? Go ahead. That's a good way of doing it. A very simplistic and easy way of understanding it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Why did he give... I mean, there's a one-word answer for this. Why did he give the Ten Commandments? What is that one-word answer that we need? Go ahead. For what? Loving. And loving fits. Both of these fit. But let's just put it... It was security. Because, you know, you love, you're secure. You were talking about security. It's security. If I don't have, you know, I know that the Bible, the Bible tells me that he, he's written these in my heart when I received the Holy Ghost. He didn't do away with them. He wrote them in our heart. So by, by my very nature of having God inside of me, I have got the one who produced the Ten Commandments in my heart. So thus, I know I don't have to, I still have choice, I don't have to live by those commandments. And if I don't live by those commandments, then I have to suffer God trying to get me back on track. You know, I'll give the Israelites this. They had an excuse. They just had them on tables of stone. They had to be read to them ever so often. They had no power to overcome. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. It's written in our hearts. And it's a wonderful thing. So, yes, you know, it was, it was, for, it was for security. Uh, and you know that that's that's a wonderful that's a that's a wonderful thing. Uh, he provides instruction, provides protection. 
God's jealousy over us will not allow the enemy of our soul unfettered access into our lives. God will not stand by and ignore our defenselessness against spiritual onslaught or withdrawal when the tempter tries to woo us away. He does not grow silent while other voices vie for our affections. His jealousy simply will not let him. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's instead we, make, we can make our dangerous journey through this world knowing that our jealous God watches over and protects our relationship with Him. And I'm sorry, I said 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So He will not put more on us. Than... How many in here could honestly say, honestly Raise your hand and say that you thought that God had almost put too much on you. Everybody has. Now, let me ask you this. At the end of whatever trial, when it was all finished, did it seem like that it wasn't nearly as bad as you thought it was? And I can say that. Not nearly as bad as I thought it was. And you know what? Got me in the right direction. A lot of times God would bring something in front of me to let me know that I didn't have anything as bad as what that person had. Every one of you can look at someone else and you can say the same thing. I have not dealt with anything like that, per- that person has dealt with. I mean, let's, let's, just, let's just be honest when we, we look at that Scripture. We can, we can, uh, I, I can look at some people with really bad physical problems. And, uh, you know, we've we, we got people that have had bad physical problems. And, and uh, I, I, think, I think of Penny and her losing the leg. And, you know, and I, I go, if I'm limping around, I think of that and say, my God, I don't have any problems. You see what I'm saying? Or you can look at someone else who's been, who's been in the condition of Kay's been. That's always a good example. And you can say, I really don't have any physical problems. But on the other side of it, I can look at some people with physical problems and some of the mental strain that I've endured. I, I've actually wondered which is the worst. I mean, really, some of the things over you that you don't seem to ever get any rest. It's just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And you just you say, God, I just long to, to go to sleep at night and not think that the phone's going to ring or not think that something is going to be happen overnight and the next morning I get up and see it on my phone. But then on the other side of it, you know, and then I begin to wonder, what kind of sissy are you? you, you know what, now, look, we're all there, right? You know what I'm talking about. No matter who you are, you know, and then we all long for retirement. I do. Oh, God, to be retired. And then you've got to worry about health care. So you're never out of it. So why in the world don't we just... Can't we just chuck it aside and say we're just going through a life that's difficult and we've got a Savior that's going to help us through it as long as we stay within the framework of what He wants us to do. you understand what I'm saying? Give the Lord a hand clap. Okay, so it is gross error to compare the righteous jealousy of God with the selfish jealousy of mankind. And still... You don't need to use much imagination to envision the reaction of a truly jealous man if he were to see somebody flirting with his wife. Think about it. I mean, you're going to be lucky to walk out of there with your teeth. I'm running into that all the time. You know, people, women, and, and flirting with me all the time because I'm so good looking. My wife, you know, she constantly, I'm, I'm joking and you know that I am. <laughs> No, not about the good-looking part. Just it's about the high part. 
But you know, you, you, <laughs> you see that constantly, you know, with, with people. And, and you don't want, you know, a man doesn't want someone flirting with his wife. He doesn't want that to happen. And so, you know, you, you see that that's, that's uh, you know, that's what jealousy can do. You know, giving her improper attention. Others probably would have to restrain him again from taking any violent action. Neither will our jealous God. Think about this. Jealous God idly stand by while Satan attempts to lure his bride away. We can have the same assurance of Nehemiah when he said in Nehemiah 4.20, Our God shall fight for us. God will always fight for us. God will not remove our freedom to choose, and he, will not, and he will not at this time destroy the devil, but he will jealously guard his investment in us. He's going to guard his investment. He will, and that's, just, that's a promise from him. Deliver me from mine enemies, O oh my God. Defend me, defend me from them that rise up against me in Psalm 59 and 1. Now, God also desires loyalty. Several of the characteristics God requires of us are based on his having first demonstrated them. And we love him because he first loved us. John 4, 1 John 4, 19. We're charged to live holy because he is holy. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. The scripture commands us to forgive based on how we have been forgiven in Ephesians 4, 32. Along with other traits... Large examples of love, holiness, forgiveness provide patterns for our behavior. In like fashion, our jealous God demands that we demonstrate to him the type of loyalty that he has manifested to us. And certainly God has proven himself to be faithful. The scripture testify abundantly to this. Um, in addition to the scripture's witness to God's faithfulness, any person who has served him can testify to his faithfulness. God is unwavering in his commitment towards us. He does not base his loyalty on our conduct or our worth. Instead, he founds his loyalty upon his unchanging nature. From the foundation of his consistent faithfulness, he calls believers to be loyal. That is why God can call us to be loyal and faithful, because he was always and has always been faithful. He never asks of us what he doesn't do. It's just that simple. Loyalty does not stem from obligation. And it should never stem from obligation. I'm not loyal to God because I'm obligated. It blossoms from love. I love Him. Now, I can't say that there has not been a time in my life when I didn't do it out of obligation. I, I think a lot of times a new Christian, uh, they feel so good. They're so, it's, you know, God made me feel this way. And yes, you may love Him, but there's also that sense of obligation. Some people are more obligated than others. And so, you know, you, you feel like I, I'm trying to pay God back, and there is no way, absolutely no way. It took me a little while to understand that, that you can never pay God back for what he's done for you. Then you never will be able to pay him back, and he never expects you to pay him back. But he does want us to love him. He wants us to love him more than anything else. And, you know, and, and it does. It blossoms from love. We do not have to be faithful. We are allowed to be faithful. You get that? We don't have to be. We're allowed to be. We're not constrained to live holy and separated lives. We have been set free so that we may live as separated unto God. God desires loyalty from us in every aspect of our lives. He calls us to be loyal in conduct, loyal in devotions, loyal in finances, and loyal in lifestyle. Most importantly, God calls us to be loyal in our affections. Lord, make clear the preeminence of this requirement, or make clear, rather, the preeminence of this requirement. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Our jealous God will not allow us to share our ultimate affection with any other suitor. 
He knows that doing so would negate our loyalty to Him. He knows that. There's nothing else, no one else, not another God that He will share. Of course, there's no other gods, but sometimes we create them. He's not going to share that loyalty. Love not the world, the Bible says, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father's not in him. In response to this great love He has shown us, and in light of the jealous nature of our God, each of us should strive to fulfill the commandment of Colossians 3.2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Doing less than this is offering Him less loyalty than He has shown, and His jealousy will not allow for that for our own good. He is jealous. He wants us to set our affections on things that are above. That is why I think more than anything recently, and it's not, I think as you serve God and you get some years of serving God under your belt, you begin to understand truly about setting affections on things that are above. That's always been there. That scripture will never change. But sometimes we have to really realize, you know, yes, I want to win as many people as I can to God. But I don't want to do this simply so someone will say that you got the biggest church. I want this done because I want to see them make it to heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we don't do that, then we're not setting our affections on things that are above. Because I want to make it to heaven, and I should have enough love for my neighbor to want to see him make it to heaven. Don't ever, don't, don't ever forget that. Set your affections on things that are above. The first two commandments encompass the core of another principle requirement for those who serve a jealous God. They shall reserve their worship exclusively for him. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. He will not settle for less, nor should he. He not only desires exclusive worship, he deserves exclusive worship. God created mankind with both the capacity and the need to worship. You know, if you don't, if people don't, if you don't believe that, then why is it that you can find, uh, you still can, tribes of people who have set up some kind of religion that have no concept of Jesus Christ, but yet they set up a religion so they can worship? Religion is important and has been throughout history to every culture. Every culture. I mean, you st- and they don't have a clue about what we know. And you stop and think about the ignorance of humanism. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say that, but I am. The ignorance of humanism. Can you imagine a group of people, that even the, 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 the most uneducated people, still have a concept of worship, but yet we are living in a nation anymore where there's no concept of worship. It's, it's, it's really not, not as a whole, but I'm saying that we're, it's getting there quickly. That, that humanism, that, you know, that this, why worship anything? Do you realize how empty a life that would be? You guys heard the joke about the the humanist that died they went by his casket God looked at him he said all dressed up no place to go and I went over like a lead balloon I'm going to have to do some better jokes okay that was a little better (laughs) All right. so God desires that everybody jealous God requires his people to commit to or submit to only him. However, because he has given mankind free will, the individual has a choice to make, to make whether to worship him 
or not. God knows that a person's worship of anything else would incur that person's destruction. And he loved us too much to allow it without a warning. So God warns us about the worship or the worship of, of himself. He warns us through the Ten Commandments. And again, again, his jealousy stems from what he knows is good for us and not what is good only for him. I don't worship him just for the good of him because I know that it's good for me as well. You understand that? I love him. That's why I worship him. But I also know the more that I worship, the better I feel because there's something about worship that stirs up that, that, that wonderful Holy Ghost that is in our hearts. Do you understand? And even if a person doesn't have it, he worships God and God will bestow it upon him. He's stirred up and he'll receive it. It's not that he bestows it. It's here. It's a gift. It's already been given. It's here and it's as close as, as this microphone is to me. It's just a matter of worshiping and believing and allowing God to fill you. That's an opportunity. It's a blessing. And God lets us know all these wonderful things can happen for us if we worship. It's, this, it's, it's so simple, but within the human mind and human psyche, it seems to be so difficult for people to embrace that concept and to constantly be looking for ways to love the one that has saved them. Do you understand that? That is, that is what God expects out of us. Worship is... It's much more than, a, than an acts of public praise offered corporately in a church setting. It's even more than private moments of close communion we share with the Lord during personal devotion. It is more, it is more broadly the active representation of His Lordship in our lives. It is the ongoing demonstration of our submission to His Word, His will, and His ways. Our jealous God desires lives that are holy and completely obedient to what will prosper our souls. God wants us to worship for us. He wants us to prosper. And the more that we worship Him, the more that we will prosper. The more that we give to God. When we walk in this place, whether it be Sunday night, Sunday morning, or Wednesday, we should come in with a spirit of worship. We should come in and just uh, establishing the Lordship within each and every one of our lives. I do this, God, because I want You to establish Yourself in me. I want it to be second nature. I want it to be as easy as taking a breath of air. Oh, give me my hand clap if you one significant fact underlies the importance of this topic. We become like what we worship. You become like what you worship. The inherent act of submission and worship has a formative effect on our lives. We are crafted into the pattern of that which we worship. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not, eyes that they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They, they, make them are, uh, they that make them are likened to them. So in every one that trusteth in them, Psalm 135, 15 through 18. So it says it. Having ears, they hear not. Having eyes, they see not. Having mouths, they speak not. If you worship a dumb idol, you're going to be a dumb person. That's what it's saying. If this is true of a lifeless work of men's hands, how much more this is so of the living God. Our worship of Him shapes us into His image. We become like Him by constant exposure to Him because He knows this is in our best interest. Our jealous God demands exclusively that we worship Him. He demands that, that we worship Him. Jealousy. 
Anybody have any on this side? Have any uh, anything to add to what I just said? Any questions, comments? Anything that you could say that you missed this, Brother Robertson? I hear I'm giving you a chance. I'll just call somebody out. Whatever eye, I'll wait for the eyes to drop. When the eyes drop, then I'll get them. They're on there. Ah, I seen one set of eyes drop. I'll give you a break. Give you grace. Anybody else? Anything? Go ahead. Jealousy? Are you saying? Um, I think we. I, I think. I think. I think we all battle it. You, you know, as far as now, there's some people that are more so. You know, it's like any anything that you have out there emotional emotional wise. I think that we that some people battle it more than others. But I think it's something that you have to get victory on. What, what do you, are you saying that it, can it be a brief thing that kind of flits through your mind? Well, I think I think if you walk around, I, I, as far as having a flitter, I never really ever thought I was a jealous person. Never have had that, never. And well, it's been a few years ago. I had it just, you know, I could. What it was, it hit me, and I couldn't understand it. I never felt, honestly, never felt it before. Now I have felt envy, but never felt jealousy. And uh, and I dealt with it. You know, immediately dealt with it. Said this is not this is not normal for me. You know, uh, take care of this. Uh, I, I think other people, just like in anything else, some people, a lot of it is learned behavior. If you were raised in a, in a jealous home, then you've learned to feel that particular, or you've seen it, so you just feel like that's the way you should be. And I think you need to deal with it. If you, no, I don't think it's in any way a positive thing. Because, you know, again, I know Shakespeare that referred to as a green-eyed monster, but there was a reason for it. You know, there it is, and it can be. Now, with that, let, let's just say, and I'm just using this as an example, if she is purposely making you jealous, then who's wrong? <laughs> but I'm saying that, you know, if she's, some women do that if their husbands are not giving them enough attention. They'll purposely make them jealous. <laughs> well, I'm, I know that you would never do that, so... <laughs> But it can purposely make them jealous, and that's that wrong. That that's wrong on the woman's part. Very wrong. Go ahead. I disagree. No, go ahead. I disagree that there are forms of jealousy that are important. Okay. There's importance that, that you have to be jealous about your doctrine because of your reflection. Well, that's godly jealousy. But you're, you're, he said that it's wrong to okay. have jealousy in any form. Okay, I, I missed that. I'm sorry. Was you using it that way? Yeah, and now wait a minute. Can we use the term jealousy in a human concept? Could it be that you're willing to fight for the court? The Bible says it that way. I can't find in the Bible anywhere where it says to be jealous for God. I've heard of a God. You know, we, we've got God who's jealous. Zealous. Nah. <laughs> it is? I stand corrected. Zealous. I don't believe that. See, to me, zealously... Is that I go at it with a with a fervor, I go at it with all night. But that doesn't mean I'm jealous. But that is a part of jealousy. The definition, 
If that's if that is Webster, then it's wrong. What's that? With a godly jealousy, zealous with a godly jealousy. I'm still right. Go ahead. Now, this, this, is, this is my thinking. Well, this is my thinking on that. That is, to protect your wife is one thing. If, if my wife's coming to me and telling me, you know, this guy's just giving me way too much attention, then, then I, ha- I didn't mean, because I'm, I'm not jealous because I didn't even notice it. <laughs> All right? Then I have a, you know, what I do, I don't necessarily go to the guy. I watch. Then if I think it's 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 needs to be taken care of, I talk to him. And I don't talk to him in a bad way. I say, my wife's uncomfortable with your attention. You do it again, you're going to lose your teeth. Okay? That, that's it. <laughs> no. No. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, you know. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's a what now? Security. Okay. But they see with God, yeah. But you see, there again. Now that's I'm glad you brought that because that's a point. If if a person doesn't understand the scripture, or it's not you know described because the way that the, you know this particular lesson was brought out, there's no doubt that God being jealous is for our own good. It's not that He's jealous, in, but you see, she was putting human emotions with God. It's impossible to do that. Anything else you have there? No, I just think that if we are not careful, we can allow any doctrine in the church if we're not jealous and say zealous. Zealous. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. No, you know, 100%. Go ahead. Yeah. Zealous vigilance with jealousy? Is that Webster's? Look it up. Look, look, je- look jealous up in the. Look it up in the Hebrew. Yeah, have you got you got it? Anybody got that? Got it in the Hebrew? Let's see it because I didn't look it up. Let's see what it says. This is good. Anybody else? We got all these preachers up here. Got wrong opinions. <laughs> He's going to be up here next next Sunday morning, so he'll be able to straighten things out. <laughs> Yeah, we can't have that godly jealousy. Jealousy in the terms of we don't have the we don't have the emotions. Jealous towards him? What do you mean? Help me. Okay, I see what you're saying. I see where you're going with that. Well, 
there again in that that definition with me, I guess with me the definition of jealousy, and and I've seen it, I've seen it, my, I've just seen it in a lot of different places. Okay, and being in church, you've seen it, and I've seen it be something that's, that that hurts, that's corrupts, and what God's jealousy is is a protection, and in that sense, I suppose yes, but again, it's using the I using the word jealous is what I don't like. Because using the words, now zealous doesn't bother me, but jealous does. Because I've seen it. Go ahead. To be zealous. So this one. To be zealous, to provoke, but in a, in a bad sense. Okay, let's just put it this way, in jealousy. If you want to use the term jealous over the doctrine, or over the, the good things of God, and you feel comfortable with that, I'll never do it because I don't feel comfortable with that. <laughs> because I yet to feel like I have got jealousy in the human sense. If I could have righteous jealousy like God had, it would be a different term, different thing altogether. I'm not sure I'm there yet. So, uh, though I've never dealt with jealous. Go ahead. True. The battle, though, that goes back to what Paul said. Fight not again. You know that, that constantly that 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 we have that battle between us, human nature, and the God nature that we deal with. And you see, that's where when it comes to talking, that that we have some of you are talking in the sense of the of the spiritual. I'm looking at this in the sense of the carnal. Yeah, go ahead. 